We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Where we stand in the FFPC main event and some of our biggest conclusions from the 2023 season. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, you are back home right now visiting family. I will be flying out tomorrow to, uh, to, to, well, to Atlanta first and driving down to New Orleans with a buddy for the Sugar Bowl. My Huskies are playing. I'll be there over New Year's. If they win, I have tickets already sort of reserved if they win as part of the Husky ticket allocation for the national championship in Houston as well. There's some possibility that I won't even travel back during that time and we'll just stay down in the South because I have some family down that way and all the flights and everything to and from Seattle are very expensive for these cities right now. So uh, we'll see kind of how all of that plays out but uh what that means essentially the reason i'm detailing all these travel plans and everything is not necessarily going to have a huge show today in store because you have some stuff to do with family probably won't have a show early next week not really sure when we'll be back on right but we will be at some point at you know i think the week prior to the playoffs is probably the next time we can definitely expect a show and we can talk through some of the playoff stuff we love to do the the playoff contests and those types of things so um that's some fun stuff we have coming sean but yeah how you doing how's the how was the christmas and 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 how's the fam it was good it started off with fantastic early week well i mean it was it was hit and miss there were some good things some bad things with the main event team we knew we were close enough that if some of the players went off that we would be in the mix and then puka nakua has a big game on thursday that was very exciting unfortunately james cook wasn't able to go back to back so that hurt us a little bit but then you're looking at the sunday decisions and it's a matter of do we flip to tua because we almost certainly are going to be playing jerry goff in week 17 or do we stick with the player whose team has just looked better offensively? And after you watch the Dolphins in that first month, it would feel crazy to think that we'd be talking about Detroit and their gaggle of weapons being the better play. But obviously, you've got some injury concerns with Tyreek Hill. You've got some injury concerns with the running backs, which did play out a little bit. Jeff Wilson gets into that game. And for Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan managers, 
to know that they're kind of both banged up to the extent that Jeff Wilson would make sense as somebody who's going to take some of those touches in that game. That part, obviously frustrating, but Ben, we decided to go ahead and stick with Jared Goff for the three week stretch. We have Amon Ross St. Brown and it was kind of good news, bad news there because the lions did look good on the road in the dome against Minnesota scored a lot of points. Unfortunately, you know, Jameer Gibbs, somebody that we have spent a lot of the year praising, was simply too good. And he was scoring from distance. He was scoring from close. We we got a little bit more of a running back game here. Jared Goff doesn't go off in a big way, but obviously Amon Ross St. Brown continues to pour on the points. And that moves us in the direction of Brees Hall. And to see him go for almost 200 yards from scrimmage to hit almost 100 yards in both phases to get those rushing scores and certainly the twisting one. I thought that the tight the T Higgins touchdown the previous week had been one of the coolest touchdowns I've ever seen and yet Hall's touchdown in this game a better version a, of it. Yeah, yeah. purely <laughs> from a skill perspective is a better version of it. The things he had to do to stay in, the body control, the effort, all of that. So Ben, when you when you have a guy in your lineup who goes over 40 and you had a couple of other big games, then you're starting to get excited. I was trying to do the first half of the games at home, you know, working on my content for Rotoviz, then flying during some of the second wave of games, obviously watching on Christmas, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the 49ers, Ravens, and then we, we were very excited at one point there, and then things did melt down. How was your experience of kind of going through the various stages? Because the NFL really stretched these games out over the uh, full extent of what they could have possibly done for Week 16. Yeah, that was a little maddening, especially with the – I mean – you understand why they're doing it. You you understand that for most casual people, it was probably a blast to have more Island games at this point and be able to watch even more football. But I mean, with the holidays and everything, and for people like you and I, who basically don't miss games and then also would like to spend time with our family a little bit, it was, it was a little bit frustrating, obviously to have this kind of schedule and try to manage both of those things, especially with this much on the line, where like, I know for me, I mean, we're opening presents Christmas morning. I got the Chiefs game on in the background and I'm just tilting that Harrison Butker is not going to get any points for our team. We'll get to the kicker discussion in a minute, but and still trying to like have a good time for the kids. And like, and, and I, I told you I was at my in-laws house and there, um, a lot of the people there are just rooting against the Chiefs naturally. So like, this is a dynasty and it's like, oh, you know, that everything's going bad for the Chiefs. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> like, I need the Chiefs to do well. But, uh, you know, obviously trying to to just have a good time in those situations. I mean, I I think I did, I did a pretty good job of it. Obviously, it's important, you know, when you're a father, when you have kids and those things, that you also have to be in the moment and, and to try to balance those emotions. Um I've, I've, I've told you this. I've learned a lot from you over the last few years and, and as, as regularly as we talk doing this show about how to frame things and how to think positively. You're such an optimist. I, I've joked about this in the early years of our of our pod a ton where like you're the optimist, I'm the pessimist. When we, when we talk about a lot of these things, we have that sort of yin-yang thing. But just, you know, it, being in, in situations like that, I, 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 it was a reminder that, that I, you know, to be a to be thankful for our friendship and, and the things that I've learned from you because that was... Uh, very helpful it, while while things weren't necessarily going great on Christmas. But you were talking earlier 
the decision between Goff and Tua was one we labored on. They ended up scoring very similarly. It was interesting because we talked through, you know, typically we're really shooting for ceiling scenarios. And we talked through it and it felt like both actually had very similar floor to ceiling decisions. I mean, just for anyone who was curious about our start set decision here, very similar ceilings. Neither really has much rushing value, both obviously in good spots to score, high total games, similar like implied lines. Miami being at home against a tougher defense, the Lions being on the road, but against a beat, more beatable defense, put them in similar spots in terms of what you would expect from the offenses. So the ceiling side, we couldn't really break, uh, break the tie. And we, we had Amon Ra, like you said, we also have Waddle on this team. We talked through like ownership in the in the contest because it is this big three week sprint and and that was very similar as well. The number of teams there there um, the percentage of teams they're on is very similar. The number of teams ahead of us that they were on did lean slightly to golf, but like I I, I went through it all and I, I sent to you kind of all the the numbers and. I didn't feel like that it was a meeting like it should be a decision point for us after I got through all of that. So ultimately, the thing that really of, of all the things that couldn't really break the tide, the thing for me, I would describe it more as like a floor decision, which usually we're not making decisions on floor, but it felt like the Lions offense couldn't possibly fail really poorly against the Vikings. It did seem at least feasible that the that the Dolphins would struggle against the Cowboys. I think at one point you mentioned to me the possibility of after the Cowboys had a tough game in Buffalo the week prior, that they could, they could just win, you know, outright, like dominate the game, play really good defense. Miami's offense can be not gimmicky, but like with banged up skill position players, they can get shut down. Sometimes they just look. I mean, if the Dolphins are so concentrated on Waddle and Hill, and, and unfortunately, Waddle, the player we need, is the one who goes out in this game. But you have a path to where if the touchdowns go through the running backs, that especially there's not enough total ball. Because one of the things with Detroit is even when the volume goes or the scoring goes through the running backs, except for these road matchups that are bad, which and outdoors, which it wasn't. But Detroit didn't seem like they had that situation where you could get both a low overall output and that that output would go through the running backs and that Tua could you know come in with a six or a seven. Or, I mean, we've seen good quarterbacks get absolutely destroyed. <laughs> I mean, the last week's... MVP candidate Brock Purdy, you know, get absolutely destroyed. As you're describing it, that seemed more likely to happen with Tua, even though we weren't projecting that for either player, obviously. And then, but the the flip side of that is that little concern with the Lions that maybe all the running the touchdowns do go through the running backs. Where I was going with this was the Lions do score four offensive touchdowns. The Dolphins score one. I mean, we pretty much got that part of it right. If you tell me that before, it's a no brainer. We're taking Goff. Unfortunately for Goff scoring, they ran the heck out of the ball. Three of those four TDs were on the ground. He throws one. Tua does wind up with the better game. He throws their only touchdown in Miami. The flip side of Miami only scoring the one TD is they settle for five field goals, Sean. And we had a decision. Well, we didn't really talk through it. It wasn't a, a, a massive decision. Again, you think through the different scenarios. The Chiefs playing the Raiders at home. Seems like a, a plenty great spot to play Harrison Butker, who we have on this team. We also had Jason Sanders, but it wasn't something – I mean, they're playing also at home, but they're playing the Cowboys. There's a much – that we just talked through. There's some scenarios for the Dolphins to not score very many points. They do move the ball in this game. Sanders winds up kicking five field goals, three from 50 yards. He scores 23 kicker points in a situation where 
we're near the top of this overall sprint, but you need every point you can get because you're playing against all of the other best teams. The team that is now leading, by the way, Sean, and we talked about different strategies and the ways to try to pull levers and leverage things. The team that's now leading is an Amari Cooper, David Njoku team that went out and added Joe Flacco, understanding if Flacco's going to start, then I, I, I need to be able to play this as a stack. They probably weren't doing great after the first week. They were, I guess they were doing fine. They had a strong first week as I'm looking at it now, but went out and played the Flacco, Amari, David Njoku double stack in this tournament as like a differentiation tactic and with the stack elements. And they got the monster game that propels them now into first place by a few points. Really interesting decision on their part. Pretty you know cool how that worked out. What, what was so clearly a, a strategic thing that goes back to the decision to add Flacco when they had the two Browns on this roster that was going to be in the shootout. They're already thinking that far ahead, and they pulled that lever in the sh- in the shootout. So just a little hat tip to uh, to, to that uh, manager for making that decision and it going well. You're playing against every possible combination is what I'm getting at. Flacco scores 30 points for this team, and then he also gets the monster score out of Amari, and Njoku has the strong total. It is, you know, not every possible combination, but it is very likely that when when there are good things that are happening, that somebody has them in this in this contest. So you want to... And you think about some of these players where you're like, I mean, they didn't have a good season. I would argue they weren't good picks to start with. And you're thinking that's going to have them a little bit underrepresented. But underrepresented doesn't mean not represented. And I mean, you look through the teams that we have who are in the mix. You think about your best ball mania teams that are in the mix. And one of the things that you look at on those teams are what are some players that we pulled through who are not going to be on a ton of teams. And if those players go off, then, you know, you're in, in great shape to win. I'm not even saying that's necessarily the case with Amari Cooper, but it does happen. Right. I mean, think about the different teams where you have Jahan Dotson and you're like, that dude should not be on teams that have advanced. But if he does have a good week, I was joking with Pete about that. And obviously he didn't, but those guys are there. And then that was the thing that was like early on offsetting some of my Brees Hall joy. It's just that what are the odds that Brees Hall has a 40 plus point game on the same day that Amari Cooper scores 50. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I'm looking at now we, we are at this point in, in 14th, there are, I think I got to four or maybe five teams ahead of us with Amari. I think three of them also had Njoku. The very top one I mentioned had Flacco and both of them. The team in second has both Amari and Njoku. The team in eighth has both Amari and Njoku. So there's three teams in the top 10 that had both of those players. It It is, yeah, like you said, it's not an under, it, it, underrepresented doesn't mean completely not represented. And so when these players hit, they're going to hit big. We obviously do not have Amari in our lineup. We also didn't have J- Jason Sanders in our lineup. We played Harrison Butker. Sanders goes for 23. We get the two points from Butker the next day. And that's a 21-point difference that we're still in 14th right now. We are trailing the overall leader by 43, a pretty solid margin. But if you made the right kicker decision, right, I mean, 20 is very doable. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yep. That's, that makes you feel like that's that's where I'm at with it as well. And it's it's tough, but you're like, man, if we just had the kicker right, 20. And also, you know, right now we're in 14th. We have to climb over 13 other teams. We would be in like seventh, I think it is. If you, if you, or maybe it's eighth or ninth, those are all clustered right in that range. But we would be in the back half of the top 10. There'd be about five to seven teams that would be now behind us as opposed to ahead of us. And part of the issue is some of the players that we have that have done very well are on a lot of the teams that are ahead of us. Although, as we just noted, a lot of them, the ones ahead of us do have like Amarian and Joku, who are players that we do not have. Christian McCaffrey is on the leader, but like the, the top team has Trey McBride. Our quarterback is Trey McBride. The second team also has Trey McBride. So anything Trey McBride does for us is not going to help us close this gap. It's just the way that to, to think of it. It would be nice to jump some of those other teams. And Ben, as you're looking at it there, I mean, we have the Hall Cook double. And obviously one of the interesting things that's happened in the first couple of weeks is that they both had a huge game and a terrible game. More likely that they'll have, you know, mediocre games in the finals, and we have the Browns Jets tonight, if I'm not mistaken. You can look at that as, you know, perhaps not being ideal for a haul. There is a setup there where if the Browns are more effective taking him away in the receiving game, you can get a pure dud. Because one of the things that happened for the Jets last week is their offense outside of specifically Hall was still extraordinarily bad. <laughs> you know, so bad that. Jacoby Brissett and the commanders can rally for a lead at one point. On the other hand, I mean, Brees Hall, James Cook, two of the most explosive running backs in the NFL. If they hit on the same week, then that changes our ceiling. And obviously we've already had two pretty good ceiling games to be in 14th at this point. Are you feeling like that combo? And the other thing here that happened, you know, we get that early 50 yard reception from Jane from Waddle and Ben, for him to then suffer two injuries after that was was rough as a viewer. And then I had mentioned to you uh, DeAndre Swift, who's our, our third running back. You can look at him as flex player or what have you. Uh, when his touchdown was overturned, I don't know what the general consensus is on that. My feeling on it, it seemed like the feeling of the officiating expert and the commentators was that there wasn't enough there to overturn it. I mean, if you told me the standard is more likely than not. I guess I could see overturning it. I don't believe what the standard supposedly is. I mean, if you look at that play versus the play the previous week where there's an interception that stops the Seahawks final drive where the foot is clearly not down and the call is not overturned. And you have this call that is overturned. Um, I did have a bit of an emotional reaction <laughs> at that point. And you know, I don't know if that sounds like uh, 
relatable or just, you know, you guys are in 14th. Don't be crying about the things that aren't going right. But Ben, one of the things that is weird about fantasy is that it actually becomes harder in its own way when you're so close. And so it totally, you know, you're excited to be at that point, but then when something doesn't, I mean, when it doesn't work on those three players kind of in a row with Waddle and the kicker and Swift. Now, one of the things I should mention is that Swift does end up having a pretty good game for him. And you're thinking because of those first two drives that could have also been Swift touchdowns, I mean, he could have had a 30-plus point game in this That's line. That's how I felt as well watching the early part of it was, you know, he doesn't have the receiving role as much right now. You know you need a multi-touchdown game, and those early opportunities that weren't touchdowns, I still felt like he could have a decent game, but it was like that's what I felt was being taken away was the potential for the 30-point game. And then at, by the end, you're like, man, it did work out in such a way that he could have had a 30-point game here. And we're very glad that, you know, he does score the points that he does and keep us kind of in that range and keep us within shooting distance. And if he were to somehow get in for multiple touchdowns in week 17, I mean, we probably need to score 225 to win. Yeah, 220, 225. And and Waddle is now hurt. And so one of the levers we do get to play. You're excited about this. I'm, I'm actually really excited about this. I messaged you about it. We don't have a ton of bench, like, ceiling options as a result of Ramondre Stevenson getting hit on getting put on IR he was one of our pieces throughout the season and some of the rookies that we have rostered not really having shown enough to be clear plays right now Jamison Williams Josh Downs Jalen Hyatt Quentin Johnston all on this team none of those receivers are guys that I feel comfortable throwing into the lineup at this point maybe you could talk me into Downs but he's just been really tough for the last month plus as opposed to what he was doing earlier in the year we do have Kyle Pitts. This is a Kyle Pitts plus Trey McBride team. So he is very likely to be our flex. I messaged you if we can get like an 8-122, you know, eight catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. It's the kind of game that I've been saying Kyle Pitts can definitely have. They're playing Chicago. I mean, it's not like it's a, you know, a strong – Chicago's defense has been a lot better lately, but it's not like it's like an elite defense or anything like that. I certainly don't think it's likely – right in an outdoor game up in Chicago or anything like that. But Pitts does have some decent little plays over the last few weeks, a longer touchdown in two of his last three games, the potential for him to have a couple of long, like really one long touchdown and then maybe score again at some point. Well, let's be very straightforward about this. Kyle Pitts still more talented than Amari Cooper. What's Taylor Heineke going to do to show that, I mean, he's not going to let Joe Flacco get one over on him in the really terrible backup quarterback competition to become Superman. Here's a fun stat, not a fun stat, a depressing stat. Kyle Pitts has more than six targets in a game one time since week five. Uh, he had 11 in week five. He had nine in week three in the first few. I mean, it, it seems almost impossible, but in the first few games of the year, he actually had some of these high target games. He's been worse since or used less or however you want to frame that. He's drawn more than six targets one time since then, since that fifth game. He had an eight-target game against the Jets a few weeks back, only caught four of those, has not had more than four receptions since way back then in a game. I still think it's possible. You look at what George Pickens did last week. That's a guy who had struggled in a similar way for an extended period of time. But the thesis that we initially had – Let's also be very straightforward. Kyle Pitts is much more talented than George Pickens. 
there you go. He's one of the things that's fun about best ball is I actually had a George Pickens team that was live in the best ball mania semifinals. This team ends up failing to get there because Christian McCaffrey doesn't score uh, at the end of that, uh, that Christmas night game. He got the carry at the, at the two yard line and got to the one. And then on third down, they do a drop back pass and get sacked. Just insane. He's got Sam Donald's got to throw that ball away. I'm still, still tilting about that. If you're going to call a drop back shotgun pass, your quarterback has to be able to throw it out of the end zone. So on fourth down, you can go back to a Christian McCaffrey run. Obviously, I'm saying this because I'm biased. My team would have advanced to the best ball mania finals if Christian McCaffrey scores there. I end up losing by less than two points. But that was a team that had Pickens. And so you're like, this was the thesis for Pickens all year. He didn't do well all year, but you end up getting to realize the benefit of him having this explosive game in week, uh, in week 16, which is like a really fun element of it. In season long, nobody in their right mind is playing Pitts, but it is not crazy for a player like Pitts in an offense holding him down with the type of explosive talent that he does have to envision him having an explosive game. And in a tight end premium format, that 8-122 game that I was telling you, I think it would be 36 points when I added it up. And you're talking about something that no one else near the top of the leaderboard is going to have in their lineup. And gives you, and, and for us, for people that have been Kyle Pitts fans for the last couple of years, big time on the show, what kind of a story would it be if Kyle Pitts had that game in a situation where it you know, propelled us into, I don't want to say to win the thing, but into the top five or whatever. You know, We had some really fun, epic finish because of a Kyle Pitts game. And it really is the right play. We're not forcing it. Like We, we sort of have to play Kyle Pitts with Jalen Waddle banged up. He's the ceiling guy with the tight end premium element. Is it going to happen? No. Arthur Smith hates fun, and, and the Falcons He's got have... one game this season over 60 yards. Yeah, there's nothing about anything that suggests He's that running hot likely. on touchdowns, Ben. I mean, we know that touchdowns come in clumps, and they cause other touchdowns, right? Isn't that the understanding? Yes, and he has two in the last three games, which, Sean, he has three on the year. So two in the last three games is more than he had in all the rest yeah, of the games combined. And also only six in his entire career because he had one in his first year and two last year and three this year. Really just an elite touchdown producer. To think that he could have a multi-TD game is, I mean, it's almost You're like how could he not? Josh Downs here. <laughs> talking to you in the Josh Downs. Yeah, so anyway, that's going to be uh, an interesting decision. But I do think as far as going into the final week, with some type of a lever to pull, it's at least fitting and fun that Kyle Pitts is the lever we can pull with tight end premium. It, it really elevates what the ceiling can look like in, for the tight ends, first of all. So anyway, that will be fun to see what happens. Maybe um, we get the Justin Fields rushing and a lot of scoring early from Fields and forces Atlanta to throw more than than they really want to and, and see what happens with it. That could be a lot of fun. But, Sean, we do sit in 14th. <clears throat> We're about 43 points behind that kicker thing, the, you know, some of the DeAndre Swift stuff. Really, to break it down, in the morning we were up to fifth when – when um, or the early games on Sunday. I say morning being a Pacific Coast guy. When Brees Hall went off through the morning games, we definitely had less PMR, you know, player minutes remaining than some of the other teams behind us. But we actually had as much or more than almost everyone in the top 10 to that point. Most of the teams in the top 10 had gotten scoring from that Thursday night game, Puka and Stafford and Kyron Williams, or other early game scoring like Brees Hall. There weren't a ton of games after that. There was the three in the afternoon, the Sunday night football, and then the three on Monday. So there was a, a chunk of games, but not a massive amount. 
we had four players left, uh, Waddle, McBride, and then our kicker, which was Butker and uh, DeAndre Swift. The afternoon, we get the Waddle injury. We get McBride just being sort of okay. We get Swift the next day just being sort of okay. We talked about the kicker thing being pretty poor. Everything from that point forward went about as I would argue about as poor as it could go, or at least when you're in, you know, everything's going right for you at that point, and you're visualizing that this is all going to come together, and it's the team of destiny. It's one of those things that I don't think we take for for um, we take it we we take for granted a little bit in fantasy, where when when you win a championship, and I've won plenty, and everything kind of goes right on the team, I don't think you really appreciate how fortunate that is and how everything is going right. And, and cause it just feels like it's, it's, it's a team of destiny. Everything's going to go right. You know, like that's the way, like my team just keeps scoring. This is awesome. When things go wrong, you feel like this is like unfair or whatever, but you definitely feel it as well. Like whatever it is, you feel the emotions for this particular team. For example, everything was going right early, even though, like you said, James Cook doesn't do well on Saturday, but a lot of the teams near the top had James Cook because of what he had done in week 15. And so even I was sitting there going, well, if one player is going to have a floor game, that's the player that doesn't really differentiate us a ton. To your point, you still want your guys to score, even if they're not differentiating pieces, because it continues to you know, push you towards the top, right? And, and yeah, elevate who don't have Cook but had Amari, you'd prefer to stay ahead of them as much as you can. Right, exactly. Uh, certainly you want your guys to score in any capacity. And like I was mentioning, Trey McBride being on both the top two teams, we still want McBride to score a lot of points next week. We'll have to catch those two teams through other means, but we have 13, you know, or whatever. There's 13 teams total, 11 other teams that we need to pass as well. So you really do have to hit the nuts and have that 220-point week and get scores from everywhere. And, it, you know, to your point too, like if those things had happened in any other week, you're like, well, that's just the way fantasy football works. And I mean, did we really think we were going to have just like a random, you know, 215 point game in week seven? You're like, yeah, I mean, this is this is good. This goes to the whole thing. But when you're trying to win the whole thing, you know, you just have to run so hot all three weeks and all through the weekend. And so especially when you've already had the James Cook game, you're like, how do we get across that? How do we get across our quarterback not going off? And it just after Brees Hall does it, you just you know that McBride and Waddle are going to hit, and yeah, when they don't, the kicker deal, you know, you too, you're just like the kicker stuff is so random. Both of those kickers are good, Harrison Bucker. I mean, one of the things there is like he hadn't missed all season until we played him the last two weeks, and the reason you're playing him is that the Chiefs are more likely to lead and not be game scripted out of being able to attempt field goals in the second half. And for that portion of it to go because they make those two, I mean, they, they give up the two defensive touchdowns early on in that game and he misses. I mean, even yeah. if he just doesn't miss, then he's set up with to the kick later. gaps to kick yeah. later. And it's funny because I believe the most recent time that we played Sanders, he missed early and created a situation where the gaps wouldn't work. So we've been running cold on kicker. I mean, you can't get lucky with everything. We're still in great shape. If you had told us a week ago we'd be in 14th, we would be over the yeah. moon. If you had told us we'd be in 5th and then 14th, we'd be like, well, yeah. that's not as cool. Yeah, and, and so again, I was kind of – I'm doing a very long-winded way, but being in 5th, we had the, the player minutes remaining. We had the situation to stay in the top 10. I was analyzing it all very much in real time. 
there's a lot of bias there, but looking at all the other players that were around us, the teams that were around us, there were several teams that were done at that point in the top 10. They're like, okay, well, we're going to finish ahead of them after this week. There are teams that are going to come up and, and threaten to pass us or pass us. There's a lot of good uh, fantasy weapons still to play at that point. You're talking about the Miami-Dallas game hasn't started or is just starting when I'm doing all this research. And Kansas City, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Baltimore all playing on Christmas. Like, yeah, there's a ton of really good players that Christian McCaffrey is waiting to play. This is not a Christian McCaffrey team that we have. A lot of guys that that could certainly make an impact. Uh, but at that time, I was like, I felt like the median outcome was we would be in the top 10 in the back end of the top 10. I felt like the sort of worst case was that we would be around like 15th because we did have a scoring gap over – a lot of the teams that were even in like 25th and 30th were quite a ways back at that point. They would need a lot of scoring and a lot of really good games to catch us. Some of them did catch and pass us with those, you know, those stacks and some of those elements that they were able to to hit on in the later, uh, you know, the later games. But to your point, to be in fifth and be in that spot and be in a better position than a lot of the top 10 at that time, also knowing some teams were going to come pass us, I, I mean, I thought there was – if everything went perfect, there were scenarios where we were leading after this week. I mean, if Waddle really hits and McBride really hits, we, we could have we could have been there. And so, to yeah, to see Waddle get injured, to see McBride, who has been so, so good, be pretty average in that game, to watch DeAndre Swift, you know, miss those TDs, to watch the field goal kicking stuff like you said, we're – we're still in an awesome spot in 14th, like you like you have said. We still scored 170, like you said. In any other week, we would look at this and go, we had a 170-point week. That's a really strong regular season week. But when you're on the way to a 200-point week, and then it, it kind of took a lot of lower than you know 50th percentile outcomes to get to 170 when you could have been 180-plus, and, and you're seeing all these other teams that were at 200-plus that were able to climb the leaderboard on you. It is, it is a little bit brutal, but that's sort of the way that it goes. We still have a shot. We still could just – I mean, just finishing top 10 would be like an incredible accomplishment. It would be accomplishment. It would be very, very fun. For those who want to know like what we're playing for, it is a, a million dollars to first is something that has been you know thrown around a lot, but it is pretty top-heavy. It's 200000 to second. It's 100000 to third. It goes down pretty quickly from there. If we finish 10th, I think it's like 10000 which obviously we'd be very excited to get. But it's not like – I think you think when you hear a million to first that 10th is going to be more than 10000 It's just sort of, I think, what the brain – like you're, gonna win, you're still going to win you know, $100,000. It's like, well, it's not necessarily the way that it works. Not that it, we're doing this all for money. I just wanted to uh, to mention can't that. Can't buy glory, then. Can't buy glory. That's really what it's about. We're just, we're just trying to win it for the Stealing Bananas brand, right? That would be so much fun and, and so exciting. All the listeners that have had to hear us talk about all our drafts and all of our teams over all these years – it's very, very cool to have this team here. Sean, the other thing I do have to mention is we have two teams in the consolation round. We talked about how they didn't qualify after losing in their championships of their of their league playoffs. And so they're in the consolation round, which has a, a much smaller prize. I think it's $2,500 to first, but you can still win a little bit of a prize. Those two teams are both doing so well that they're in the top 15 of the consolation. There's a, a, a fewer teams in the consolation round than the, the main championship round, but both would be top 50 teams in the overall championship, which the overall championship is 800 teams have qualified for this. So for anyone who doesn't know, like the overall structure, it's 832. We had two that didn't qualify. They were a game away in the in their league playoffs. One of them was just a few points away from the auto qualification from the regular season back in week three 
13 is when that ended. Uh, week 12 is when that no, ended. It was just a couple of points away from winning that final. Winning the yeah. final in week 14. So they had they both had multiple paths and, and were vaguely close. And that was close. the one where he gave up 46 points to kicker and defense in the final. So the kickers yeah. are not on They're not our friend. Currently. <laughs> yeah, we're not big fans of, of kickers at all right now. But I did want to mention in terms of I've, I've gotten a lot of questions about the ways that we build our teams and how our teams have done. And we wanted to get into some, um, some post-mortem stuff probably on the next show. We have a lot of time in the offseason to get into it. There's a lot of really fun topics that we are excited to talk to you guys about. But in terms of our strategies and the way that we build and those types of things, if either of these teams make it through, they're also top 50 in terms of trying to build teams that are have a lot of firepower in, in the fantasy playoffs. This is the thing that we're constantly preaching. We have that. One of these teams does not have – Brees Hall of, of, of the, the Constellation teams does not have Brees Hall. It's a McCaffrey team. Um, it also has Puka. It had T. Higgins, who was, who started to explode a little bit. And Brock Purdy, Sam Laporta team. That's the one that we were, I think, most excited about. Didn't make it through. We have another one that does have Brees and McCaffrey that didn't make it through. And that's that A-Chan team. We talked a lot about being really bummed that it didn't make it on the show recently. Those teams have been big, but man, to have a, a Christian McCaffrey, Brees Hall team, the team that Colum and I have in the Superflex finals and best ball in the FFPC is a CMC Brees James Cook team. And you don't know if those guys are going to hit, but it is exciting to have that mix. And Ben, one of the things that, you know, if we had a couple more hours today, we were going to talk about is running back selection, running back talent, how you put that together. As you mentioned, we're going to have some entire shows dedicated to that. But one of the things I wrote in my intro to the Zero RB universe this week and or in, in the early analysis portion there as I'm thinking through it, talking about the EP numbers for the top guys and we're going to talk a lot about the fantasy points over expectation or however you want to phrase that but the top four guys you have christian mccaffrey Brees hall Bijan robinson jameer gibbs you think through that obviously christian mccaffrey the superstar but the other two players two rookies and one guy coming off an of injury who's a second year player a lot of risk with those players and you have to be able to to stomach that when it doesn't work when a jk dobbins has a re-injury slash you know, obviously a separate injury, but something that could be potentially related or just more terrible luck, right? You've got to be able to stomach that. But these rookies, when you get to this point, someone like a Brees Hall, when you get to this point, these guys that are hyper-talented, if you want to be in the mix to win the whole thing, my belief is that you've got to lean into that a little bit, or I guess you could have Amari Cooper. So yeah. those are the different ways that you could that you can approach it. Then this has been so much fun. One of the things that, you know, I want to mention as we close today is that, you know, we talk about our team. One of the rules in fantasy is there's nothing less interesting than someone else's fantasy team. But because we've done these drafts and a lot of these drafts have led to teams that are in good position. I mean, I'm hoping that that means that there are lots of other rotoviz stealing signals, stealing bananas, fans who are in their week 17 final this week. And for me, that's one of the real fun parts of it, that if we're doing well, there's at least a, a good chance that listeners, Ben, are doing well. And you share. I think they are. I think they are. The, the guys are at Signals Gold I talked to this week. A lot of them are doing well. I have one who's in four leagues. He made the championship in all four of his leagues. That was a really fun thing to hear. I'm like, man, that is crazy. But I think I mentioned last week that one of our listeners had made 10 best ball mania semifinals. Wow. So they're... There has been, and we're not taking credit uh, for this no. in any way, shape, or form. I mean, these these 
drafters are fantastic, but it's exciting that the community is doing well. Yeah, that's we we love that. That's I mean that's a big part of it. And what I was just talking through, you know, the teams that didn't make it but have still scored well enough to be in the top fifty. First of all, we're so fortunate that the team that did make it is the best one, and you know that has scored the best in fifteen and sixteen, and is in fourteenth, and that's so exciting. But part of it is something that we've talked about over the years that, you know, you want to build these teams, as you just talked about with the rookies, that are good now. And sometimes that's frustrating for the first few months of the season. But for anyone who was still listening to the show in December, probably you're listening because your team is still in it. And it, I mean, it, it is that lesson in actuality. The scoring that we saw from guys like Brees Hall is so many of the things that we have talked about all year. I mean, you mentioned it, like J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor. A lot of those types of guys didn't hit as well, but the ways that these things can manifest, even the Jameer Gibbs game, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're building about. That's what we talk about all offseason. And in the first few months of the year, when those players aren't necessarily the stars in September and October, always you're looking forward to, well, if I can just get my team in, it has that potential late. We saw that with some of our builds where even the ones that didn't get in, they still have that firepower and they're scoring right now. And hopefully a lot of our listeners, and I, like I said, I've heard a lot of very positive stuff from our listeners that suggests that a lot of them did do very well as well. So very grateful for, for everyone for listening and for trying these strategies. And like you said, obviously we're not taking the credit for it, but for the ones that want proof of concept, is I get, I get that question a lot. Hopefully this is a helpful thing to internalize for future years. Very much so. Well, again, happy holidays to everyone. That'll be... This episode of Ceiling Bananas, as Ben said, will maybe be a little inconsistent over the next couple of weeks as we do holiday and bowl game and just different family-related things. But we're excited to get back with you. We'll have a ton more content soon. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow him at Yards Per Gretsch, Stealing Signals, Stealing Lines, Stealing Signals Gold. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. We'll talk to you soon.